1: Hey Dan, have you ever tried to, to shift a curriculum in uh, a school that you taught in?
0: Well, you know, there's different ways of thinking about that. I think one level is like actually changing the official curriculum, right? Yeah. Like getting the district to change or getting the state to change curriculum. That seems like a, a lot standard. of work. That seems like a lot of work, and that's hard. And then the other way is a little bit more what I used to always say to my students. My class is like Vegas. What happens in here stays in here. Yes. Right? Maybe we'll cover the standards. Maybe we'll just do what we think are is important, right? And address issues that are actually critical for citizens to learn to make a more just world. And sometimes I did that side too. So I think there's different levels of curriculum change.
1: Sometimes what I would do if I thought something was important. So I, like I went to Mount Vernon to do a thing on the community there. I was like, okay, so we need to really reevaluate how we're teaching about slavery. We need to show that you know these are actors and, and throughout the course. And so I would send emails to everyone with like lessons that they can do to my colleagues at least. So it was more than just my own space that I was shifting. I was trying to shift it on a slightly larger level. And sometimes I think teachers did it or my coworkers did it, not all the time because you know, it's difficult. You have much more control over your own classroom. I could never imagine, I mean, doing this or or trying to shift like or change a whole curriculum on a a statewide level.
0: My department chair at my first school, created an international studies class that was taught across the entire district. And it was such an amazing class. They, they investigated human rights issues across the globe, you know, and how you respond in international tragedies. And they really delved into a lot of, of issues of human dignity. And it was such a powerful class. But I always wondered, what did it look like for other people teaching it, right, who didn't create the class, who didn't have her passion? And so I think as educators, it's it's more so than just creating a course, but thinking about how do we ensure that this course is taught well? And that's challenging, right? I mean, yeah. like you said, to get everyone like who, to be passionate about that topic and make change in a meaningful way to get it right so that what we do in a social studies classroom matters, it's, it's a challenge.
1: I like that we went from, we did go from the individual to like a more of a colleague's basis to now you're talking about doing it on a district-wide level that your, that your d- department chair did. It's interesting how much you know agency that individual teachers can have in their own community. Sometimes, again, it might be that small just in my classroom role, but sometimes it's kind of like broadening out and reaching out to other folks to, to shift the needle, if you will.
0: Absolutely, and speaking of reaching out to other folks, we have an incredible number of outstanding scholars and educators and thinkers in Texas, where I'm at, who have done the hard work of creating a new course for the whole state What to honor histories that are oftentimes have been on the margins in our US history courses. And so we would like to, you know, think a little bit about how you can do this work. We would like to welcome into the podcast, Dr. Liliana Saldana and Vanessa Sandoval.
1: We are so thrilled that you are here with us today.
2: Thank you. We're happy to be here.
1: Excellent. Do you mind telling us a little bit more about yourselves and your background in education?
2: I'll go first. So my name is Vanessa Sandoval. I'm an undergraduate at the University of Texas at San Antonio. I am an anthropology Mexican American studies double major with a minor in history, a 2016-2017 Mellon Humanities Pathways Fellow, and a 2017-2018 Institute of Education Sciences Fellow.
1: Oh my, you seem very busy. (laughs) That's
3: (laughs) a little bit crazy. (laughs) Liliana Salania here. I'm actually from San Antonio, Texas, and I have a undergraduate degree in English and international relations from Boston University. And then after graduating graduating from BU, I came back to San Antonio and I worked at a dual language school and pursued my master's degree in Bicultural Bilingual Studies, which had a strong Mexican-American studies content or component to the degree. And then from there, I left to the University of Wisconsin-Madison to pursue my PhD in Human Development and Family Studies, where I got to take some courses in education, courses in curriculum and critical pedagogy and qualitative research methods.
0: Wow. So you actually bridge both states where Michael and I live. You both have the Texas roots and you're back in Texas doing incredible work. And you made a pit stop in Boston.
3: Yes, yes.
1: <laughs> we're very excited to have you here for the for the time you were with us. No, thank you. <laughs> so
0: can you two tell us about your work around Mex- uh, teaching Mexican-American studies and getting this course adopted in the state of Texas?
3: Sure. Well, it's been, um, I was just talking to Vanessa earlier. You know, the story about Mexican-American studies in Texas is, it's, it's a complicated story because we've gone through so many political challenges in getting this course adopted. But I always see this as a 50-year struggle, right? Because the history for Mexican-American studies in our K-12 through schools goes back to the Chicana and Chicano Civil Rights Movement of the 1960s. You know, but it's taken it's taken 50 years to actually implement Mexican-American studies in our Texas public schools. And so the more recent process to bring MAS into our public schools goes back to 2014 when Ruben Cortes, who represents District 2 on the State Board of Education, and different organizations and educators came together to push the State Board of Education to create a a course for Mexican-American Studies. What ended up happening was that we got a special topics course. And Mexican-American studies and the special topics course was open to African-American studies and women's studies, Native American studies. And during that intervening time between like 2014 and today, you had different proposals to create Mexican-American studies. You know, we have the innovative course in Mexican-American studies. We also have the dual enrollment courses in Mexican-American fine arts and appreciation And the latest battle was about a year ago, which was to get a TEKS, a standards course. And so we can talk a little bit more about that, that political process.
1: So is someone not from Texas TEKS?
3: Yeah, it's for the, it's the Texas essential knowledge and skills. Yes.
1: (laughs) As you might guess, Michael,
0: they're highly problematic. In fact, we just recently admitted the role of slavery in the founding of Texas and our role. So as, as in most states, standards are are one of the places where we have to work pretty hard to get
1: accurate, truthful, and justice-oriented histories taught. Absolutely. So I've heard of the the Texas Education Board, not in the greatest of context, uh, more of what Dan was talking about. So that's pretty amazing that this is something that you actually got them to do.
3: Yes, and it it came with a lot of community mobilization. I mean, this was really... I mean, it's been nonstop since 2014. It has been nonstop. I mean, we've been going to Austin up to like September, right, when the course was finally approved by the State Board of Education. But I'm talking about, you know, mobilizing communities, creating statewide coalitions, talking to educators, talking to statewide organizations like the Mexican American School Board Association, talking to organizations like LULAC, which is the oldest Chicano and Chicana and Latino Latina civil rights organization in the nation, and also working with litigation organizations like MALDEF, which has been largely responsible for desegregating our public schools. So it's been a long political process. It has been a really incredible work and I'm always, even to this day, always impressed by by the power of community, right? Mm -hmm. And what it took to really get this course approved, because there were a lot of attempts to derail our efforts from those on the state board that are uh, very conservative and didn't want this course to be approved.
0: Right, because... The only acceptable history to be taught is the very Eurocentric, white centered history of Texas, which, you know, even in recent debates, the one of the Teaks debates was about taking, you know, the hero word out of the Alamo, which to me, I am always astounded that that the state thinks it's their role to tell kids and teachers who the heroes are in history, as opposed to us figuring it out. And so you can see if it's really centered around the white founders they see of Texas, which excludes and erases a lot of histories along the way. So what is that? Can you tell us a little bit more? So what was that political process like? And so where, where did you where did you have to mobilize the attention? Who were you contacting? How did you go about making a difference? Because I think a lot of our listeners who are often social studies educators, and then just edu- educators who want to be activists for better curricula, for more just policies in their schools. How did you guys eventually make this happen, even though there's probably so many hurdles to to jump over?
3: Yeah, I mean, in thinking about the work that we've been doing, we continue to Pretty much tap into the the, the the networks and the coalition building that we created with the Reject the Text campaign about two years ago. I don't know if you remember the book that had been submitted for adoption. It was actually the first book that was submitted to the state board of, Ed- of education and it was extremely problematic not only because it was inaccurate and you know it had a lot of misinformation but it also had a lot of racist assumptions about mexican american people and mexican immigrant people uh, immigrants and so we extended and, and we just sort of built on on that movement and called on to you know undergraduate students like Vanessa teachers who actually teach Mexican American studies at the K through 12 level, scholars in the field of Mexican American studies who could lend lend their expertise in the field, and civil rights organizations. So this is really the work of Chicana and Chicano studies. I mean, we've been doing this work, and we've been building on the legacy of those who came before us. So this this is not actually anything new to us. I think, you know, the work of social justice and the work of activism has been a part of our, our historical legacy. And we continue to build on, um, you know, our connections in the community, our coalitional work in the community and our community building work.
1: So, Vanessa, what was it like to be a part of this this organization that was, that was doing the work, you know?
2: So I think that there's a role for everyone in the movement to play in this larger movement of mos in K through 12. And as an undergrad, I have gone to the state board and testified to say my piece as to why these studies are important in K through 12. I was there when they attempted to change the, uh, the, the name of our course from Mexican American studies to ethnic studies, an overview of Americans of Mexican descent so I attended those hearings as well. And my role is, I'm also the undergraduate moss intern here at my university. So I stay connected in these efforts to help my mentors organize the moss symposium, the Summer moss Teachers Academy. So I've been involved in, in those efforts and have gotten to observe, you know, the the way they have gone about organizing. And last semester, I had the privilege of interning under a high school educator in K through 12 and he's teaching a Mexican American studies film and literature class so I got to intern and be in the classroom and got to mentor his students as well as teach a couple of lesson plans and get the next generation of students at the high school level who are about to enter college excited about Mexican-American studies because it's not just social studies. It's not just film and literature. It's all of these different studies that make up our overall history. So wherever, so my role, I stay connected not only through the students, but talking to educators. Like I said, this is going to be the third summer that I observe and attend the Moss Summer Teachers Academy. So staying connected to educators, what are they doing on an individual level in their classrooms and how can we bring it all together?
0: It's incredible. It does remind me of when Maribel Santiago in episode 55 on Teaching Mexican American Histories shared her story of starting her activism in high school, that she saw these inequities in the curriculum and wanted to address them. And so it's, it's so encouraging to see young activists Getting involved in curricular issues, it's also depressing that we're still having to fight these curricular battles to have equitable curricular materials and coverage and affirming curriculum for a variety of groups in Texas and across the country.
3: No, I, I, I agree. You know, when we look at the demographics in the state of Texas, almost 52 percent of school aged children are of Mexican-American descent. And yet we are largely underrepresented in the curriculum. We also up to this day have, I would say have, we've been erased in the curriculum. And so Mexican American studies and the statewide movement for Mexican American studies is an attempt to center our narratives, to rewrite the histories that have largely distorted uh, the narrative of who we are as a people and our contributions to Texas and our contributions to the United States. And so I see the work that we've been doing as part of that struggle for epistemic justice in our public schools. And I also want to add that the work that we've been doing has has really been about creating bridges between, you know, the academy and institutions of higher education where we have Mexican-American studies, because in the state of Texas, that's where we've had Mexican-American studies and creating those bridges with the community and with schools. So the Naxtecas FOCO, which is the regional chapter of the National Association for Chicana and Chicano Studies, has been largely responsible for organizing the political work around Mexican-American studies at the State Board of Education. So at every stage of the process, the Naxtecas FOCO has gone before the State Board of Education To, you know, demand a special topics course in Mexican-American studies, to um, demand that we have Mexican-American studies and not, you know, to to restore the name of the course that we proposed, which was Mexican-American history and not an overview, you know, ethnic studies, an overview of Mexicans uh, of American American descent, right? Or Americans of Mexican Mexican descent. descent, right? So what we were saying is that we have the right to name ourselves. We have the right to have curricular alignment and alignment within the names of the courses, right? Because in 2004, the Texas Higher Education Coordinating Board officially approved of Mexican-American studies as a field of study. And so, you know, it it just doesn't make sense to have Mexican-American studies in our community colleges and four-year institutions and then have courses that are called you know, ethics studies, an overview um, of Americans of Mexican descent, right? And so it was an unnecessary battle. You know, it was sort of like a, a, a rock that was thrown in our way. It should have been a smooth process, right? In the state of Texas, you know, 52% of school-age children are of Mexican descent. You know, it should be a no-brainer. You know, we should have courses at the K-12 through level that center the Mexican-American experience. And yet we've had to really you know, take on these battles from, like, derailing our efforts, right? Uh, I think in the beginning last year in January, when we proposed to have a class, the State Board of Education that is largely Republican said that we should have Latino studies, right, and not Mexican-American studies, even though we've been fighting for Mexican-American studies. We had been fighting for Mexican-American studies for four years already, Right. And so that and it was an attempt to derail our efforts. And of course, we had absolutely no problem with having Latino studies. Right. In our K through 12 schools or having a high school elective course on Latino studies. But we also understand that Latino studies is a different discipline with its own theories and methodologies in the field. Right. It's a distinct field of study. What we had been fighting for was Mexican-American studies. And so the next attempt to derail our efforts was to to rename the class. Right. And so that was actually a six month campaign from April to September was to restore the name of the course and to finally have a course that would have standards that are written by experts in the field. So we actually recommended as, as the NAACS Texas Focal Group, as a group of scholars and experts from across the state who teach Mexican-American studies. We even told the state, uh, the TEA that we would work pro bono. You know, we could be the experts and we could provide the, the standards and work on, on the standards and, and, and become a working committee, right? But we stress the importance of having standards because different, you know, uh, there are, are so many folks in the state of Texas who are teaching Mexican American studies and we wanted curricular coherence. But we also know that publishers were less are less likely to publish a textbook if they don't have standards. And we also want standards because it encourages schools across the state to implement Mexican-American studies, right? When they when there are standards or are going to be, you know, curricular materials and textbooks that they can use. And so it makes it more likely for them to, to adopt the course.
0: Yeah, and we're going to obviously keep using the Mexican-American studies name because it just feels like such a symbolic colonial move to tell the people advocating for the course no 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 it should be named this no 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 your course should be this so can you tell us what what did the curriculum end up looking like i know you can't cover it all because i'm sure it's a deep curriculum that covers a lot but for people that are unfamiliar with it what what are some of the key topics and themes of the course
3: so the course begins with content on indigenous groups in in texas and so we thought that that was, that was very important because oftentimes even in Chicana and Chicano studies, we focus on, you know, you know, the, you know, Aztec history and culture or Mayan history and culture. And so it was very important for the local indigenous or the regional indigenous histories to be represented in that curriculum. The curriculum also focus, uh, focuses on Spanish colonialism and U.S. Anglo settler colonialism and the impacts that these have had on the Mexican-American experience in Texas. And so the curriculum also covers everything from, you know, ethnic race relations between Anglos and and Mexicans during, you know, Anglo settler colonial colonialism. It focuses on the Mexican-American experience after the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo and the economic and social transformations that took place after the annexation of these territories into the United States. And it also covers the Mexican-American generation and the civil rights movement all the way to the present.
0: So what are you doing? I mean, I'm just like excited. I want to take this course myself. I don't know if we can make this like a three-day podcast and you can just walk me <laughs> through the whole thing. So so how, how are you supporting educators who are trying to learn this curriculum and make sure that they teach it well?
3: Well, I actually wanted to, you know, aside from the Mexican-American history course, right, because I'm not really sure how many Teachers are actually teaching it, the one that was just recently approved by the State Board of Education. But I know that in San Antonio, Gilbert Flores at Breckenridge High School teaches. He's been a social studies teacher there for about 13 years. And so he's teaching the first Mexican-American history course in San Antonio. To my knowledge, he's the only one and the first to offer a Mexican-American history course. But I also want to mention that Vanessa has been working with Andres Lopez, who is the first, to our knowledge... Mm -hmm the first to teach a Mexican-American literature course for high school students.
2: Wow. Yes, yeah, so like I said, I got to be in the classroom with Andres Lopez last semester, and he is a brilliant educator, and I'm honored to to learn from him. But some of the things that we really cultivated in the classroom that ha- we've already got to witness, you know, th- this next generation continuing on the process was just their, just how aware they are of their own identity. Um, That's something that really stuck out to them as young students. Some of these students, not not from his class um, last semester, but I also wanted to mention when we were talking about the efforts of going to the state board, that there were students, middle school and high school students, that joined us and who testified at the state board as well. But back into the classroom with Andres, I just really got a chance to, to see how he works with the students and how you mentioned at the very beginning of the podcast how you have this passion for something that you want to take forward, you know, bring to people. And it's, it's tough navigating those different dynamics when there are some students in the class that don't really know it's something new to them. So they don't really know how to how to approach it. And we're talking about, you know, some some subjects some topics that can get really heavy or they can have, you know, family ties, immigration, you know, topics like that. Just being able to learn from Andres and see the way he navigates these different personalities in the classroom and just trusting that by the end of the semester, the kids that were the students that were a little standoffish come out of their shell and start to, you know, have this very, this new critical lens that they're ready and willing to approach the world with.
0: And history can be such a powerful way. And is that, was that the class you were in? Oh, wait, the class you were in was English language arts. the It was, it was, the literature?
2: It was a film and literature class. Oh, cool. Okay, okay. Was, But you're able, through literature, you're able to bring in, to tie in a lot of different histories mm-hmm. and with film and with art, you can put a mural up there and just start to dissect it from there. So I think with literature and art, you can cover a, a wide range of topics And hit a lot of different histories in that way.
0: So can you tell me a little bit about the adoption process? Because you mentioned some of these courses are the ways they're being taught are only taught in some classrooms. So how widely are these courses being adopted? And is it up to schools and school districts? How do we get more of these courses into schools?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. So we know that in San Antonio, Harlandale ISD, some of the so- social studies teachers there are teaching the special topics course. We have schools in SAISD like Gilbert Flores's, you know, Mexican-American history course that is being offered and the Mexican-American literature course. So what we've been doing is, you know, part of the work, I think maybe this was a, a, a mixed blessing, right? This whole struggle for MAS is that it. Uh, I think more people came to find more information about Mexican-American mm-hmm. studies and became more knowledgeable about this struggle. But we've been working to recruit teachers to learn about Mexican-American studies and how they can teach Mexican-American studies, or at least incorporate a Mexican-American studies perspective into their, their courses, whether it's literature or social studies mm-hmm. or fine arts. So that, that's sort of the work that we've been doing now. And actually over the past, I would say three or four years, actually. UTSA has had the Teachers Academy in the summer, which was a one week long summer academy for teachers where they can learn what Mexican American studies is and how they can actually teach this in their social studies courses in a way that is aligned with TEA standards, right? The existing standards for social studies, knowing that the standards themselves are also problematic, (laughs) largely because they exclude the Mexican-American experience, but also because they reproduce colonial narratives about Mexican-American people.
1: So what, what advice do you have for educators wanting to teach Mexican-American histories in their classroom? And what resources do you think they should possibly uh, be looking, looking at?
3: Well, we do have the, the professional development workshops. So aside from the, the, the Summer Academy here at UTSA, we just started offering professional development workshops for K-12 teachers. So we had one workshop last fall, and we're about to have one workshop this Saturday, actually, March 23rd. And so this is our attempt to provide that professional development for teachers who are interested in either creating a Mexican-American studies course or centering a Mexican-American studies perspective in their curriculum. And I say this because not many of us actually have, are going to graduate, right, with degrees in Mexican-American studies or have degrees in Mexican-American studies, right? I mean, I don't have a degree in Mexican-American studies and I teach in a Mexican-American studies program, but it's, I sort of came to, to Chicana and Chicano studies, right? Through, through mentoring, through, you know, faculty mentors who who kind of took me under their wing and taught me the field of study and, but we are are very fortunate to work with um, undergraduate fellows like Vanessa who is is a major in Mexican American studies. She is developing her expertise in this field right And so we're hoping that some of the the, the um, alumni go into the classrooms right to to teach social studies. but we also know that you know a lot of our teachers don't have Mexican American studies or ethnic studies in their background right They might have taken maybe, A multicultural you know education class which is not the same as mexican-american studies it's it's just not the same you know i i work in the teacher education program and um, so i get a glimpse of of how teachers you know are educated within this multicultural education discourse mas is centered on the mexican-american experience here in texas right we cover the historical you know and political struggles of Mexican-Americans, educational struggles. It's a completely different history and it's gonna be a history that for the most part, a lot of our educators are not familiar with. So part of it is decolonizing their own understanding of history and then finding creative ways and innovative ways of bringing this new knowledge into their everyday classroom teaching and learning, right? And creating a curriculum, creating lesson plans that reflect the Mexican American experience from a mass
0: perspective. Yeah, and it makes me think of of then there are some really good materials out there. I, I was at ARA conference a couple of years ago and was able to see Stolen Education, which was about okay. the Driscoll School District and and bringing those. It just the film highlighted for me how important bringing these histories up are because I could just see it in, in the the elders who had experienced that linguistic segregation and racial segregation in Driscoll, which was an important court case. And you can see how much their identities and who they were were denied and how harmful it was throughout their whole lives. And so the the opposite is true when we teach this course well. It allows people to explore and investigate and their histories in ways that our schools have often denied historically. So it's really incredible work you, you two are doing. I really appreciate it.
3: Thank you. Thank you. I think one of the things that teachers have been sharing or asking is, you know, how can I, you know, how can I, I teach a mosque class or, you know, what are, you know, are there curricular materials or textbooks? And, you know, because we're still in the sort of the beginning stages of Mexican-American studies in K-12, through you know, I have to tell teachers, like, I'm sorry, we don't have a textbook. I mean, we had a racist textbook that was proposed like two years ago, and I'm glad it got rejected, you know? But, um, you know, we don't have textbooks yet. And so it's really a movement that builds from the ground up. And we're here to support teachers as they create a curriculum from the ground up. And I know it sounds intimidating because I think teachers are inundated with work just as it is, and so the idea of having to build a curriculum from the build from the bottom up can be, I think, a bit nerve wracking. But that's why we have the summer academy, and and we have these uh, professional development workshops that we just started last fall to provide that type of that kind of support for teachers. Because you know we don't have textbooks, you know we don't have you know lesson plans that teachers can just sort of just pick up and then implement in their classrooms or use. And so I think a part of the work that we're doing is providing that that support. It's a long term project, you know. I see this as a lifelong endeavor. I think where hopefully we'll see mass in our K through 12 schools, but this is new in Texas. I think we've had activist teachers, you know, maybe in the 1960s and 1970s who were who were doing this work, especially in bilingual education and bringing that Chicana and Chicano studies perspective and talking about you know empowerment and community empowerment and social change but you know this is this is really new in texas you know and i think that there is interest you know what what we keep hearing from teachers is that they are interested they see the value of it they see the value of naming their stories and telling their stories and sharing these in the classroom with their students and it's just a matter of formalizing that curriculum and creating you know sharing our resources And so one of our goals is to create some sort of like clearinghouse where teachers can access, you know, materials from like documentaries to, you know, textbooks to books that they can use.
0: Absolutely. And you know what? We at UNT have a bunch of education majors who have to write lessons, and maybe we just need to start having them write Mexican American studies lessons and collecting those on websites and be vetted by experts to really pro- help provide some some great materials.
3: Absolutely. Yeah, and I think it's going to be a collaborative project, you know, because the teachers look at us and they're, you know the the scholars in the field, and they're like, hey, you know, we need the books, you know?" We need uh, books for K through twelve, and you know we don't write books for K through twelve. We write uh, books for you know scholarly books for for higher education or we write journal articles. So it's been a learning process even for me, learning what what it is to teach at the K through twelve level and sort of like how can we bring and our efforts together and our expertise and our experiences together where you know teachers and and scholars and community members can be in conversation to create to create this really from right. the
2: ground up as an undergrad being in these spaces at you know at the the MAS summit and this, the the mass symposium and the the teachers academy listening time and time and time again educator after educator wanting these resources it's very much been a almost a passion project for these educators to bring Mexican-American studies or to incorporate it into their existing curriculum. Because I've been observing at least the Moss Teachers Academy pre and now post the Texas State Board's decision. So, and, and the, the, the educators want the same thing. They, before the standards were were set, they almost had to hodgepodge these different resources together to incorporate it into their curriculum. And they were doing it without any kind of standards to go off of. So now the standards are set in place, but we still don't have the resources or a textbook to hand over to these educators to be like, here, these are the resources, teach it. So it's very much a passion project, but I'm always inspired by the educators that come in knowing that there are no resources or that have the passion to put these resources together to bring it to their students because they know that that's how important it is.
0: Well, and I'll say, you know, we you all have done such great work around this, and there's been so many activists that have done great work, but you guys can't do it all. I mean, I think the thing is, is that educators across the state, we have to all start, you know, doing this work, and if we all start engaging in it, learning from the scholarship and the work that's already been done to inform our teaching and our lessons, then we can all together contribute and build, you know, generate materials and lessons and, and things so that it doesn't fall on just Dr. Saldana and Vanessa to mm-hmm. do all the work. So, yes. but thank you for all the work you have done. You, and oh, and we really you, appreciate you, you, you sharing.
1: Thank you. So where can our listeners find you, your work, and perhaps more resources online?
3: That's a good question. That's what we are working very... on right now. <laughs> Ooh, is actually stay tuned. to create like a. Right now, we're partnering with IDRA, which is the Intercultural Development and Research Association, and so they they they've been doing a lot of this work for for decades. You know, providing support to educators across the state through policy reports and research, and so they have been joined. They they recently joined our efforts about maybe a year ago. To create these professional development workshops, and so they're one of our partners, and so we're working together to figure out a way to one identify the schools that actually teach Mexican American studies in the state of Texas, and then to provide some sort of like clearinghouse where teachers can access these resources.
0: Well, we will so make sure, tuned. yeah, we will, and, and as you have more websites and stuff, please share them with us and we'll add them to our show notes, but we will add some information about the the academies and workshops that you all do, and we'll get that all in our show notes so people will have a starting point to start looking for some of that stuff, but we'll keep adding to our show notes as oh, this all thank builds you. up.
3: you. Yeah, <laughs> we appreciate that. Yeah.
0: So thank you again so much for joining us today, and we certainly do hope to con- continue the discussion online and in other spaces.
3: Excellent. Thank Thank you for having
1: us. Thank Thank you. you. At the Vision of Education podcast, we are all about sharing the learning. If you're doing something fun, creative in education, or you're just moving mountains, tweet us at Visions of Ed, or hit us up on Facebook and that one other place. And if you haven't already, subscribe to Vision of Education podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and anywhere you want us to be.
0: And if you write us a five-star review, we'll read it on the air. That helps people find this podcast. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Dan Kretka.
1: And I'm at 42 Deep.
0: Until next time, this is the Visions of Education podcast.
1: Signing off.